so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. Amen. In every season, Jesus, you remain a In every season, we can celebrate your resurrection, which is the promise, the foretaste of our own resurrection in life. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the constant in the storm. You're the one that sustains us in it, and you are the one whose word is more powerful than it. And so we thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome again to those who've joined us either in here in the building or online since we began. Uh, it's great to gather uh, in the name of Jesus and worship him. No matter what uh, hoops we have to jump through to do that, it's great to gather uh, in the name of Jesus. Uh, a couple quick announcements before we jump to our Bible reading this morning. So Laurie, you can perhaps start making your way down to the podium. Uh, so a couple quick announcements. Tomorrow night, Monday night, is our monthly prayer gathering at our house. Um, please uh, shoot me a text or PM uh, the church's Facebook or email or carrier pigeon. Uh, let me know somehow if you're going to be there. Uh, so that we can just keep a little track of numbers. The reality is we've never quite gone anywhere near uh, bumping up against that restriction of household numbers for our prayer gatherings, but I'd love to, and so I believe in faith uh, that one day we will. Uh, and so, yeah, please shoot me a text um, or contact us in some way. And the other thing is, come alongside, Laurie, you can join me. One and a half metres, not too close. Um, and... Um, the other thing is, uh, at 11.30 today, we're having our first church meeting for the year. What a year. It's August, and it's our first church meeting. Uh, you can join us here in the building. If you're in town, it's not too late to do that uh, at 11.30, or you can join us via Zoom. It's also not too late to register for that uh, 11.30 uh, this morning. If you can't find the link uh, for that, it's in the email bulletin. If you can't find that, then contact one of us. Contact Carl. Carl, I think his sad is put it in the chat. Um, so this morning, Laurie's going to read for us. From John chapter 5. So, um, as I've said throughout this series, we're not uh, putting words up on the screen because uh, I want you to have, have it with you, either digitally or yeah, a hard copy. Uh, if you're in the building, there are, uh, I was going to say pew Bibles, they're not really on the pew, but that's, that's my Anglican upbringing coming out. All right, thanks, Laurie. John chapter 5. Not all of it. And good morning, everybody, and it is a good morning. And as you heard, the reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 to 15, and I will be reading from the New King James. Okay. <clears throat> After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is called, it in Hebrew, uh, Bethesda, having five porches. In, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, 
Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity an infirmity, 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. He said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming another steps in down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a a multitude being in that place. Afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews it was Jesus who had made him well. This is the word of God. Amen. Thanks, Laurie. Uh, You can take that microphone with you. That's a special treat. We'll get David to mute it, though. So um, you can comment on the sermon, but um, not not live to everybody. Well, good morning. Uh, We're going to jump into John chapter 5. I'm going to pray. We're going to keep moving uh, this morning. Uh, So thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for for the inspiration you gave John to record this good news about Jesus, this life story of Jesus' ministry on earth. We pray that you would uh, illuminate it to our hearts and our spirits this morning and not just to our mind, but we pray you would do that also. I pray that we wouldn't come to your word and go out unchanged this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm. And so uh, thank you for reading, Laurie. I'm not actually going to unpack that passage this morning. I'm going to talk more to the situation that this healing created. Uh, So last week we talked about the woman at the well. Uh, The the Jewish man, Jesus, meeting a woman at the well and, and her journey of understanding his identity shifted from thinking he was merely a Jewish man to him being a prophet to him being uh, the Messiah, to him being the saviour of the world. And so this identity question continues this week. Jesus is back in Jerusalem, we're told, and, and, and as Laurie's read for us, there's a healing uh, at the pool. Uh, the one thing I want us to grab from this story is that we're told there were many, but that Jesus saw the one. And so Jesus, with the power of his voice, commands healing for this man. But the key point in this story is it happens on the Sabbath. That was the day that that God had told his people to rest. Six days shall you labor, but on the seventh day 
you'll rest. Uh, but it wasn't just that command. The, the rabbis had added a list of 39 categories of activities that shouldn't be on the Sabbath. Uh, there were 39 rules and regulations, and so one of them was you're not allowed to carry an object uh, home or from your house to anywhere, including your bed. Uh, and so this man was breaking the rules. Not so much God's rules of rest on the Sabbath, but, but man's rules of what rest on the Sabbath should look like. And so they asked him, why are you doing that? And he said, well, the one who made me well told me to do it. And so the question here in the story is John chapter 5, verse 12. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick, up, pick it up and walk? Who? Now, as Laurie read that story, we, we discover that his name is Jesus, but who question lingers. It's deeper than just what is his name. It's who is he? Who are you to say that? Who are you to say that this man should pick up his mat and walk on the Sabbath? Who are you to say that someone should break the rules? Who is this man? And, and so in this passage, as we go on through John chapter 5, Jesus' identity is on trial. We're told in verse 16, we're told that, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, in his defense, and so the, the Greek word for persecute also carries a legal meaning, it also kind of means prosecute. So they began to bring a case against Jesus. Not just what's your name, but who do you think you are? In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so Jesus says, My father is at work. So too. What's in view here is uh, this, this ancient idea of father and son being master and apprentice. Uh, so just as Jesus would have been the apprentice to his earthly father, Joseph, and learnt the, the craft of carpentry, or some say it was perhaps masonry, whatever it was, that, that Jesus would have learnt that craft from his father. And, and so it would become, so as the father is, so is the son. Uh, that, that the son, the idea of an apprenticeship under your father was to become the exact representation of the father. And, and so Jesus is using this kind of analogy with his relationship with the father. And so, so they rightly understand, that these Pharisees, these, these Jewish religious leaders, they rightly understand that this is a claim from Jesus to be equal to God. We're going to go through the rest of the story, but, but if they were misunderstanding Jesus' words here and he was sent from God but not God himself, not equal with God, we can expect that he would have said, no, 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 no. You've got it wrong. We see the angel in Revelation when John bows down to worship him after he's had this great vision of heaven, we see the angel saying, do not do that. Only God can be worshipped. And so if Jesus was from God, if, if Jesus was a faithful representative of God, he would have corrected this misunderstanding, but, but he drives it deeper. He, he, he says that 
as the Father is worthy of honour and worship, so am I. He says that as the Father has life in himself and the power to give life, so am I. As the Father has the authority to judge, so do I. Jesus' sense of their understanding that he's claiming to be equal with God is to remove any doubt that that's exactly what he's doing. And so we're going to work through these things, that Jesus is worthy of honour and worship, that Jesus has power to give life, that Jesus has authority to judge all of humanity. In John verses uh, 19, John chapter 5 verses 19 to 23, this next section, Jesus touches on all of these things, but, but he, but he emphasises that he is worthy of honour to the same degree he is as valuable, he is to be worshipped to the same degree as the Father. He says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself, he can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even, the, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. So he's talking about those themes of power to give life, the authority to judge, and then he says this, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who and so Jesus says that, that the Father has given him the authority, the power to give life. The Father has given him the authority to judge so that he would be honoured just as the Father. The, the Greek word for honour means to assign value. To assign value. And so Jesus is saying that, that he is to be assigned value as the Father. It might be, in the English, we might think that means, well, in kind of the same way, similar but different, but the Greek makes it even more clear, to the same degree. Kathos is the Greek word. I may have butchered the pronouncement, but that's what it looks like. It means to the same degree. And so the emphasis of this father-son language is not primarily that of subordination, but of close and in intimate relationship. Because the point he makes is just as you honour the Father, the same level of honour should be given to me. Just as you worship the Father, the same level of worship should be given to me, says Jesus. Jesus is saying that he is not less than. He's saying that in fact you cannot honour God. You cannot worship the Father and reject the Son as God. Unless we honour and worship Jesus with the same honour, the same worship, with the same value that we place on Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, unless we ascribe that value to Jesus also, then we are actually dishonouring the Father. And so, they're prosecuting him for blasphemy. They're saying, you can't be from God because you're blaspheming. You're saying that you're equal with God. 
And Jesus eloquently and theologically says, that's right. See, we might be comfortable with the idea of Jesus being divine, but, but these are the Jewish religious leaders who had fundamentally drilled into them for centuries that there is only one God. And the thing is, Jesus doesn't turn back from that belief. He doesn't turn back from that being the truth. He says there is only one God. He affirms that. Elsewhere and here. But he says, as the Father is, so am I. I was talking uh, with some uh, Catholic friends recently about you know, different styles of church and reflect, reflecting on what that style of church does well is have a sense of awe and wonder when we come to Jesus. What, what our church perhaps does well is a sense of closeness to Jesus. But we need to hold and, and, and learn to hold those things together. That Jesus has come near. That by his spirit he dwells within me. But he is no less valuable, no less powerful, no less worthy of worship than the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. No thing exists that has come into being apart from him. And so Jesus, amongst religious leaders who are a little bit upset that he told someone to carry his mat on the Sabbath, his answer is, well, there is no higher authority than me. Jesus is worthy of all honour and worship. And Jesus has the power to give life. He's, he's already spoken about that. John talked about that in, in his prologue at the start of John chapter 1. And then in John uh, chapter 5, verses 24 to 26, he says... He goes on to say, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to also have life in himself. The Father has life in himself. He is the giver of life. He, he doesn't need power from somewhere else to create life out of nothing. We see in the, the Genesis creation story that, that God speaks and there's life. We see in the creation story of mankind that God forms from dust, from something lifeless, the image of of a man in his own image and breathes life into it. God has power. God the Father has power to give life of himself. And so Jesus says, as the Father is, so am I. As the Father has the power to give life, the Son, Jesus, has life in himself. And he says, the time is coming. And actually is now here where dead, the dead will hear my voice and respond by coming to life. And so Jesus, we only need to flip a few chapters over in the story and we'll get there in some time to John chapter 11 where, where Jesus has a tomb opened and calls out to the dead man, Lazarus, come out, and he does. Jesus is, <coughs> pardon me, Jesus is foretelling, in a sense, this story of, of calling forth Lazarus 
from the tomb, calling him out that he might come to life. He's he's saying the time is now here where the power of his words will bring life. But he's not just speaking about Lazarus in a few chapters' time. He's talking about the resurrection of all people. That all dead, all the dead, will hear Jesus' voice and come to life. Lazarus is just the first example of that. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 18. He said, For the Lord himself, and he's speaking of Jesus here, will come down from heaven. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so Jesus is saying that my voice commands life. His voice commanded the dead man Lazarus to life, but his voice will one day command all who have perished throughout all of history to life. Because he has life in himself. And so we enter into that life here and now through belief in Jesus. He he says in verse 24, we've already read it, but I want to read it again. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Not will have, not past tense, has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed from death to life but jesus has the power of life in himself and so he says if we believe in his word if we believe in the father that has sent him we have already crossed from death to life we already have eternal life that's not just life ongoing that's not just a quantity thing that's a quality thing through believing in Jesus, we enter into eternal life here and now. Amen. It's a now thing. Identity and the question lingers, and we've begun over and over this throughout John, but the question lingers here again. Do you believe? <coughs> Pardon me. Do you believe? life. Jesus is of all honour and worth. The Father is. Jesus has the power to give life just as the Father does and Jesus has the authority to judge. In verses 27 and 30 going on from there he says, and he, the Father, has given him, that is Jesus, authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. And we've spoken about this before, we, we, we tend to think in English terms, well, Son of God's kind of an up here term and the Son of Man's down here, like Son of God's talking about his divinity and, and Son of Man's talking about his divinity. But, but in fact, the, the reverse is more true in a sense. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 records a vision that Daniel had of, of a Son of Man-like character and... Um, We're told in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, 
In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's God Almighty, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so the Jewish people, the came to believe that this was a divine figure with all authority. And so Jesus without batting an eyelid, so to speak, says, he has given me authority to judge because I am the Son of Man. I am the one with authority and power forever and ever. This goes on in verse 28. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. Jesus here himself talks about the resurrection of all people for judgment. He says, I am the judge. Of all humanity, all people will rise and I will judge them. It says, Those who've done raised to those who've done evil will be raised to be condemned. That sounds not good. And so we have this Oh, we're judged on our merits. And so we might start to think, Well, I'm a pretty good guy, aren't I? I've done some some good stuff, haven't I? Surely I I, I qualify for that category. He only gives two categories, raised to life or raised to condemnation. I don't know about you, I I don't think we need to take a poll this morning, but uh, I think we'd be pretty unanimous which of those categories we wanted to be judged into. There's only one problem. As Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, reflects on our capacity for righteousness, we're told that all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and... Like the wind, our our sins, like the wind, our sins sweep us away. The prophet was reflecting, you know, inspired by God on our act of righteousness. He was reflecting on our capacity to do good, to enter into that judgment category of raised to life. And his reflection was that all of our efforts. It's just like a filthy rag. The Apostle Paul and reality. He simply said in Romans three twenty three, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The the only problem with this this reality that one day Jesus will speak and judge all of humanity 
into a condemned category and a raised to life category, the only problem with that is that we will all be in the condemned category. For we have all sinned and fallen short of the requirements to be in the raised to life category. Except, do we catch what, what Jesus said in uh, chapter 5, verse 24? If you've got your Bibles in front of you, I want you to, to flip back to that verse. If you're following along in the version event notes, we've helpfully recapitulated that verse right there for you. In John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. See, I've never captured that before. I've always thought, yes, well, we're judged on our deeds and, and so it means that if I'm judged on good deeds gets me life, then it must be the good deeds that I'm empowered to, to do through the power of the Holy Spirit, through my sanctification in Jesus. Um, I'm, I'm created in good works by Christ Jesus to do, sorry, created by Christ Jesus to do good works prepared in advance for me, and that is true, absolutely. And I thought, well, it must be those deeds that Jesus judges to be good enough. But that's not what he says in verse 24. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. Jesus' life, his death, his, his resurrection on our behalf has not removed the day of judgment. It has removed those who put their trust in him from it. It gives new meaning to some territory we've already covered in, in John chapter 3. I want to highlight verse 18, but our Christianized minds will probably shake around in our heads a bit if we, if we don't read verse 16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18 says this, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And so here's, here's what Jesus is getting to. All of humanity already stands condemned. Our righteous acts are filthy rags, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all stand already condemned. Except if we believe in Him. That doesn't make us good enough. Yes, we're called to do good works in Jesus. That doesn't make us good enough. It's, it's not that Jesus somehow makes my actions good enough to stand to be judgment. If we believe in him, we are removed from judgment. We are removed from condemnation. Uh, we get his vote, in a sense. But if we reject Jesus, then we already stand. That's 
why Jesus... says that essentially he's not really doing the judging. The judgment has already happened. He judges as he hears. The verdict of sense has already been given. But we have a hope in Jesus to not be judged. A hope to have life here and now, a hope to have already crossed over from death to life. See, we've, we've, through belief in Jesus, had the opportunity to enter into eternal life before the day of judgment has even taken place. And so the question is, who is this man? Who is this fellow, as the NIV quaintly translates it, who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, came to a verdict. They, they came to a verdict that he was a blasphemer. That, that he wasn't of God, that he was an evil man and deserved to die. But, but then you must ask, well, what do you do with the miracles? What do you do with the signs? What do you do with what one of the religious leaders, Nicodemus, said? Clearly you are of God because no one could do this apart from being of God. So the Pharisees reached their verdict, but, but that verdict misses the mark. And so the question this morning is, what is your verdict? What verdict do you make on the identity of Jesus? Who do you say he is? Because it doesn't actually matter for your life in an eternal sense what others say about Jesus. It doesn't matter who... Others say that Jesus is. We're not saved through other people's opinions or beliefs, whether they think we're a lunatic for believing in Jesus or that you'd be crazy not to. That's irrelevant. What matters is your verdict. If we believe we've passed from death to life, we've entered into eternal life, if we don't, then we already stand condemned. And so, if you haven't entered into belief in Jesus, I want to leave you, that sounds very grim. <laughs> but really, it's a resounding message of hope. That we have the opportunity, that you have the opportunity to enter into belief in Jesus and in doing so have life and freedom from judgment and condemnation in his name. So I'm going to pray. And we're going to worship Jesus. And um, if you're not in that space of belief in Jesus, if you've not committed yourself to Him, or you'd like this morning, I encourage you to say an amen uh, to my prayer out loud or in your heart. Mm, Jesus. We thank you that you showed up to the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath and knowing that it would offend the sensibilities of some chose to heal someone who had a mat so that you could tell him to pick it up
and walk. We thank you that you placed yourself on trial so that we might know that you are worthy of worship and honour. So that we might know that you have the power to give life. So that we might know that you alone are judge. But more than that, through belief in you, we have freedom from judgment and condemnation. And so this morning, Father, we declare that we believe in Jesus. We entrust ourselves fully to him, not in our own acts of righteousness, not in our own efforts, but wholly and completely in the name of Jesus, that we might have life in his name right here, right now, and for all eternity. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in his word, stay in his love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.